This morning we're going to be in the book of Acts and we're continuing in chapter 9 this morning as we are moving along through the book of Acts. This morning I want to look at a world conflict and I want to look at we're going to look at something in the Bible that's going to connect really well to something that's going on in the world right now. War is hard. Now, this is coming from somebody who hasn't been to war, but we are seeing war right now on television. We're seeing Russia that is invading Ukraine, and we're seeing people fighting, and we're seeing that our families are being divided right now. There is a lot of, there is a lot of hostility. There's just enemies just fighting against each other right now, and it's hard. It's hard to watch. It's, I know it's hard for them being there. Kelly had brought to my attention a few days ago uh, a couple of videos that just really blew my mind. And I don't want to say this is happening everywhere, but in these videos what we saw were some captured Russian soldiers. Now mind you, these are kids, really. 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds who are out fighting and, and some of them don't know why they're there and what they're fighting for. And we had seen a couple of Russians who were captured by some Ukrainians that had taken them, maybe taken them to a home or someplace and brought up their smartphone and asked them to call their mom in Russia. And so here's a Russian soldier who's captured now in Ukraine, able to call his mom and say, hi mom, I'm here, I'm okay. I don't know exactly why we are here. I don't really know what we are fighting. Can you please tell people at home to make this stop? But I'm okay. These Ukrainians are giving Russians who are coming in to defeat their country, giving them an opportunity to call home and say hi to mom. That's, that's a huge blessing. We don't see enemies doing those kind of things. Here's a mom that saw her son go off to the military weeks ago, hasn't heard from him, is probably seeing some things on the news, and wonders how her son is. And he gets a, she gets a FaceTime call from her son, but says, look, here's a Ukrainian guy who's letting me call you. That's an amazing amount of grace. We're gonna look at a story here, an, an actual event in Acts chapter, chapter nine. And if you remember in our study last time, we had, we had seen Saul who had left Jerusalem. He was on his way to Damascus and he was going there so that he could round up Christians. Then they were referred to as followers of the way. Okay, so he's going there, and on his way, big bright light shines down, Jesus talks to him, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And now, here's Saul, blind, in his entourage, his guys, his posse, the guys that are there with him, help him out into Damascus. He's going to be blind for three days, and the one thing we're going to see now is that he's not going to eat or drink for three more days. I wonder... If, I wonder if God knew that Saul needed his eyes shut 
and to take away food and water. I wonder if, if God really said, I need to just shut everything off so this guy can focus on me for a little bit. I wonder if he says, okay, I, I need to clear all the junk out of Saul's mind. Now, remember, Saul is the guy who is going out persecuting Christians, rounding them up, right? Has a terrible idea of people who are following Jesus. And God just gave him a massive life time out. I wonder what would happen to us if we were to sit in quiet for three days, right? Some of us, let's face it, it's hard to turn life off for three minutes, much less three days. Saul gets three days to focus and to focus on God. But Saul is not the star of our show this morning. We're actually going to take that camera angle and we're going to see Saul there blind and not eating and we're going to pan over to the other side of town, the other side of Damascus, okay? And we're going to meet a new gentleman over here. Follow me into Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse number 10. Luke writes this, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias who's going to come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So now we're going to meet, we're meeting Ananias. Ananias is a disciple in Damascus. Now, the word disciple simply means somebody who is learning. So he is part of the Christian movement in the city of Damascus. He would have grown up in a Jewish background. Ananias knows God. Ananias, we can see here, is pretty close to God. He has a relationship. They talk together. And God appears to Ananias in this vision and says, hey, Ananias. And Ananias is like, hey, God, what's up? I'm listening. Right? I mean, that's the kind of relationship that they have because they spend, they spend time together. These are the kind of conversations that you have with people who you know really well. His response wasn't terribly formal. He's like, okay, hey, God, I'm here. I'm here listening. What you need? What are, what are we doing today? First, God tells them, to get up. These are very specific instructions. Get up. You're going to go to Straight Street. Literally, that's the name of the street. It's still there today. Straight Street. You're going to go there. You're going to look for uh, a house that uh, Judas lives in. Inside, there's a guy in there. And you're looking for uh, Saul of Tarsus. That's the guy who you're looking for. That name should scare Ananias. This is a guy bringing horror and, and terror. But see, here's the thing. Now, this would have caught Ananias off guard. It says that Saul would be praying. Saul was a Jew, and he's a Pharisee. In Jerusalem, the Pharisees are these religious leaders, all dressed up in their black robes and big hats and this kind of thing, right? Three times a day, they would all go out on the streets and they would pray, and the Pharisees would pray loud. They would go to the corner and they'd have their hands wailing and praying loud so that everyone can see them, everyone can tell how religious they are. And let's face it, a lot of it was just for show. That's not what Saul is doing right now. Saul is praying, he is talking to Jesus. He is on his knees connecting with Christ. 
All the distractions have been taken away for three days. And Saul is told a guy named Ananias is going to come cure you of your blindness. I want you to see what Ananias says. He responds to God once he's given that instruction. Come back with me. I'm in Acts 9, verse number 13. Here's Ananias' response. He says, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man and, and much harm that he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and he, he, he's here and he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias isn't, he's not questioning God. He's not questioning God's instructions. He's not saying no. What he's doing is he's, he's asking for more clarity He's saying, God, do you remember, you know, you know who you're telling me to go and talk to here? Ananias is telling God that he has a concern about this instruction, that he has a case, a concern for his own safety. He's not saying no, he's bringing up a concern. Here we go, we'll write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, it's on the back of your bulletins, you'll find some fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you those and they're gonna be up here on the, on the big screen as well. It's okay to ask God for clarity, but it's not okay to disobey. It's okay to ask God for clarity. It's not okay to disobey. Let's face it, in our world, we're getting messages coming from everywhere, right? everywhere. It's okay to ask for clarity. You know where we, where we get our clarity? We get it from the book, right? We get it from God's word. We only get it from God. But can we ask for clarity? Sure. Can we disobey? No, we can't. When Saul left Jerusalem, Saul had left to round up followers in Damascus and the word got to Damascus before Saul did. There's people that were going and warning them already. Hey, Saul's in Jerusalem and he is rounding up Christians there and you guys better be careful, he's coming your way. So they already know what's, what's going to be happening. And here's Ananias asking God, reminding God, hey, this guy's the bad guy, as if God needs reminded, right? Sometimes as humans, we have this tendency when we get instructions on a project, we have a tendency to take our minds all the way to the end game of the project and go all the way there first, right? Without taking step two and step three and step four and step five. You know where God's already been? He's already been through all those steps. He's already been to the end game and we're questioning step number two, right? It's okay to get clarity, but here's the thing. God already knows what he's doing. He's already been to the end game. In this case, Ananias, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he had a concern. He brought it up to God. Ananias was probably one of the guys that was on Saul's hit list. Saul went out. He went out to Damascus to to, to round up people. Chances are he wants to round up the leaders of the Christian movement in Damascus, right? So here's, here's Ananias. On this hit list, chances are that you might question those instructions. If you were on a hit list and God told you, I want you to go to the commander of this other army that's coming after you and I want you to go and talk to him. I might ask for a little bit of clarity on that. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this at homework time around your house, or if you have ever said this yourself when it was homework time when you were a kid. Did you ever hear any of the kids say this? Oh, I don't know why I need to know this. I'm never going to use this. Oh, you've heard that. You have heard that. Raise your hand if you've ever said that. Okay, I should see every single hand up right now. Every single hand up right now. See, there's a reason why our school system says we need to put you through math, even though you say, I don't know why I need to know this. Okay, let me tell you, when I was in junior high, I wanted to be a baseball player. That's what I wanted to do. I'm in eighth grade, seventh grade, I want to be a professional baseball player. They gave me an elective of computers, and I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. This is, this is dumb. So you walk into the classroom. Here's this black screen. It's a green blinking dot. You get some goofy um, uh, DOS commands, and if you're lucky, on Friday, you get to play organ trail. That's what we did in the late 80s. And, and I'm sitting saying, I, I, I don't need this dumb computer class. I'm never going to need to know this. You know what I do every single day now? Every day I'm in front of a computer for hours. Every single day. Somebody knew that I'm going to need to know that. See, God's already down the road. He's given us an instruction. He already knows what the end game is. He knows that. He's been thinking about this for so long. Ananias knows he is on a hit list. He knows now he's concerned for his, his safety. You think God already knew that? He already knows that. He's not going to send Ananias into a place that, that he's not safe. Look what God says in verse number 15. But the Lord said to him, go. For he, is my, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. God always has a reason for his directions, even if we don't understand or agree. God always has a reason for his directions, even if we don't understand or agree. Do we have to agree? No, it's not our job to agree. It's our job to adjust, but it's not our job to agree. Before this moment, Saul didn't know what God was going to do. Ananias didn't know what God was going to do or why God was going to do it, but God tells Ananias exactly why. Did God need to tell Ananias why? Huh. What do we tell our kids? Don't ask me why. You just go do it. Don't ask me why. God told Ananias why. He says, Saul is chosen. I'm choosing him for a very specific purpose. He is an instrument, a, a, a vessel. Some translations will say a vessel. He's like, like, a, like a tool. God's going to do something with Saul and through Saul. And this has to be kind of mind-blowing to Ananias at this time, that Saul is going to be a herald, he's going to be a, a voice to the Gentiles? That doesn't make much sense because Saul is a Jewish Pharisee. One of the letters that 
Paul writes. Now, we're going to get to this difference between Saul and Paul down the road. Saul's name is going to change to Paul, and we'll get there in a few weeks. Okay, Same guy, different name. A little bit later on, he's going to write a letter to one of his apprentices. This guy's name is Timothy. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 7, and Paul writes this. He says, for this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, Saul had a very unique quality to him. Not everyone had this quality. Saul did. Saul was raised in Tarsus, okay? This is a city, it's at the southern portion of modern-day Turkey, and it is Gentile territory. It's Greek-speaking territory. There were people here who would be different than in Jerusalem. Paul, Saul had this, he spent a few years there growing up and then his family moved to Jerusalem. So he can get along with different cultures now. He knows what living in Gentile land is like. He knows what living in, in Jewish land is like. He's probably trilingual and he can fit in to almost any culture He's really good at this. Here in America, we, we do find a benefit to, to people that are bicultural and, and especially bilingual or trilingual, right? We see that in, in our culture. Saul was Jewish. He was raised in Gentile territory. Now, God didn't have to tell Ananias why. He did, but he took it even a step further than that. God answers a question for Ananias. Maybe Ananias wasn't thinking this. I would have been thinking about this. But God goes to this step even before the question is asked. The human part of us would be fair to say, okay, this guy is an enemy. This guy has come here to my town to round up everyone who follows Christ and we know what he has done in Jerusalem. We've heard about that. Now I know he's at Judas's house He's by himself, he's on his knees, he's praying. Can I just take him out right now? Right? Now, I don't know that Ananias is thinking this, but I want you to see what God says. This is Jesus talking to Ananias. I'm in verse number 16, says this, for I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. He didn't have to tell him that. So Ananias now has more information, where to go, what to do, why to do it, and now we see that Jesus is telling him, hey, retribution, I'm going to take care of that. I don't want you taking care of that. That's on me. How, how about these other people in Jerusalem that Saul has already rounded up? Some of them have already died. What about them who have been terrorized at the hands of, of Saul? Jesus had talked to his disciples about suffering. I'm going to go to Matthew, the book of Matthew. And Jesus talked about this quite a bit. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. Like, there is a cost. I'm in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 38. Jesus says this, And the one who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. Let me tell you, the only reason that you take up your cross now we're going to go back to the original audience. When Jesus says, take up your cross, they would have seen this all the time because crucifixion was, it happened a lot. The only reason you take up a cross 
is so that you could carry it yourself from the place that you were condemned to the outskirts of town because people are going to nail it, nail you to it and you are going to die. So when you pick it up and you start walking, there is only one thing that comes next and that's death. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. You know where that happens. What happens is, yeah, we die, we stop so that we can start living for Christ, right? Have you found yourself? What have you found of yourself? What is it that you're living for? What is it that you're putting your faith in? What is it that is worldly or temporal that, that, is, that is running our lives? Jesus says, if you have found your life and it is not me, you're going to lose it by following me. Once you come to follow me, everything you know, boom, it's gone. It's like that. That's the cost of following Jesus. Saul would learn how much he would have to suffer now in the name of Jesus. For the rest of his life, Saul is going to be a pastor. He's going to be an evangelist. He is going to tell other people about Jesus. He is going to meet a lot of people who are going to hate him. And especially now, people who are going to hate him because they're going to look at him as a traitor. When he goes back to Jerusalem, we'll get there in a few weeks, these are guys that, they're like welcoming him back, like, hey, did you get all the Christians up there? You're bringing them back to jail? And he's like, no, I am one now. Oh, yeah. There's gonna be some people that are going to hate him then, right? I want you to see this. From this point on, Paul is going to, now Paul, same guy, right, different name. He is going to suffer a lot for Christ. I'm going to show you. He actually gives us a list, a partial list of some of the things he, he goes through. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse number 23. Paul writes this, are they servants of Christ? I'm speaking as if, as if I'm insane. I more so, he's talking about other people, he's having a conversation, are, 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 they, are they servants of Christ? I am. I'm more so, and now he starts a list, far more in labors, in, in work, far more in imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in uh, danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and a day I've spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from these external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. It's a pretty long list. And see, it's not just a physical list. That last part right there, everywhere that Paul went, every city that he went to, he started churches. And now he's saying, not only am I getting beaten physically, I have this huge emotional pressure on me because I'm concerned for all of these churches. So not only is he suffering physically, but his spirit and his soul and his emotions are suffering as well. It's safe to say that Saul suffered for the cause of Christ. But he kept going. And Ananias kept going. Ananias was given an instruction. He asked a question. He was given some clarity. And let's pick up the action. I'm in verse number 17. So 
Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. This is so important. God's instructions are to find, to help, to console, and to spiritually feed our brothers and sisters, even if we don't like them. I know that might sound really elementary, even if we think they're an enemy, even if there's somebody who we despise, even if they are from an, another lifestyle, if God has given us instructions, that's our job, to find, to help, to console, and to spiritually feed our brothers and sisters. And we, we might want to say, you know what, Ananias, oh, he was a good Christian. He went and he, and he took care of Paul. And we might want to say, hey, you know what, we're good Christians. We're going to go and, and, and take care of, of people. Let's not fool ourselves and say, you know what, we love everyone. Yeah, we would, we'd be fooling ourselves, right? To say, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a problem with anyone anywhere. No, God says, he says, I might send you someplace that you're not comfortable going. You want some clarity? Okay, let's talk. But that's the instruction. That's your job. Your job is to go. When Ananias walked out of that house, Saul was praying. And I want you to recognize this. This is so important. Ananias comes into the house and he puts his hand on Saul. Let's, say, let's just say that Saul's on his knees and Ananias comes in and put his hands on his shoulder. And he calls him brother. He refers to him as part of the family. As somebody you can trust. A brother, that's somebody who you care about, right? That's somebody who is now part of a family. That is, that is this Ukrainian telling a Russian soldier, brother, call your mom. Let's get her on FaceTime. Let's talk to your mom because you're, you're important. See, we have this responsibility of Christians sometimes to go out and, f and find new brothers and sisters, and sometimes it's to, to lead others to Christ. Sometimes our job is, is to be there to help. Sometimes it's our job to come along and assist somebody else. Sometimes we just need to be there to be that person who will listen. I wonder if you've ever gotten a phone call from a friend who's just in tears and says, I just need somebody to talk to. You know what they don't need? Right then, they don't. They don't need to listen, they don't wanna listen. They just wanna talk. They just need somebody to listen. It's our job to feed each other and sometimes we could feed somebody just by listening. Let's finish up this section this morning. Acts chapter nine, we are in verse number 18. There we go. Sorry, it's the first time I've got to see this. Uh, uh, this. That looks really nice, Jerry. I don't get to see it in front of me anymore. Verse number 18, and immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days, he was with the disciples who were in Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. Wow, what's amazing about this passage is the things that happened immediately. Immediately, Ananias came in and he placed his hands on Saul. And immediately, Saul's eyes were opened. 
And immediately Saul got up and he was baptized. Now Saul hasn't eaten in three days, so it makes sense that you know, he'd go in the kitchen and scrounge something and, and kind of build his energy back up, get some food and water, and kind of get back on his feet. Now these people in Damascus, these are the people who Saul came to terrorize. And now because of this transformation in Saul's life, Saul is going to go spend time with them, not to terrorize them, to be part of them, to learn from them. Saul basically, he's going to go and hang out for a few days with people who know Jesus. He starts spending time with the right crowd. Old Saul, gone. New Saul, he has begun right now. You can see this transformation in Saul's life by who he's hanging out with. Honestly, before he was hanging out with some guys that were looking to terrorize Christians. Now, I'm not going to say that, that your mind is set on terrorizing Christians, but let's face it, sometimes we get to a point to where, and, and maybe in our teenage years, we say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with, with Jesus, and I'm hanging out with a bunch of people who don't either, right? I mean, I'm not going to hurt them, but I'm certainly not going to join them. We can see this transformation in Saul's life by who he's hanging out with. And, and that's what happens in, in our life. Are we hanging out with disciples? Are we spending time with others? Are, you are, by the way, you are a disciple. I want you to know that because you are here learning. You can put that title on your resume, disciple. That's fine. You're learning, and that's what we're doing. Paul went and he spent time with the disciples. He did not spend more time with the guys that he came to Damascus with who had ropes and chains who were here to take away Christians. Not spending time with them anymore. Big life change, you see that? That's what transformation does. And I want you to look at the final immediately. Paul immediately began to proclaim the name of Jesus, telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. Saul did exactly what he planned to do when he left Jerusalem. He planned to go to Damascus and to go hunt for followers of the way in the synagogues. And that's exactly what he did, except he didn't round them up, he joined them. He had papers authorizing him to bring Christians back to Jerusalem and throw them in jail. Now he is proclaiming to them that Jesus is the Son of God. That's his message. Here's the fourth point in your notes this morning is this. God transforms lives on purpose and for a purpose. On purpose and for a purpose. When you met Jesus, he did not just change your life simply to give you a good book to read. That, let's face it, we haven't finished reading yet <laughs> or listening to yet, right? When you met Jesus, he changed your life on purpose. It wasn't on accident. He chose you. He transformed your life for a purpose. Remember I said Saul was unique in a way that, that he, had, he had connections to the Gentile world and a Jewish world. God can use him using those qualities for specific reasons. Same thing with you. You have specific qualities that God can use for a reason. 
He's given those to you, and watch this, remember this, he already knows the end game. He's just asking you to take step number two. He already knows where we're going. And you might be saying, Pastor, well, I, 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 I know Jesus, but I really, don't, I really don't feel transformed. I really don't. But I wonder if you've really let God fulfill his purpose in your life since you came to him. Many times, people will come to Jesus and they'll give their life to Christ and they want to start learning more, but then they walk right back into their everyday life expecting something different to happen. You can't have both. You can't change and be unchanged at the same time. See, life with Jesus is different. The transformation of your life is because Jesus wants you to be different. Different than you are now. Do you think he just goes around transforming lives and then he just walks away and never sees you again? What sense would that make? No, he transforms lives on purpose. Saul's life was transformed because he was going to go to the Gentiles and tell them about Jesus. That is the why. Your life has been transformed also so that you can proclaim God's name to others. That is the why. That's the why. Now you might say, I don't know because I'm not really a proclaimer. I don't know that I've even put a Jesus fish bumper sticker on my car yet. I don't know. That's the why. That's the why our lives are transformed. So we come closer to Christ and we tell others about Christ. That is the why. I would ask you this morning, if you haven't yet taken that time, Saul was forced three days in prayer, no sight, no food, no water, just time to come closer to God, to learn, what is it that you want from me? What am I supposed to do? Why is, why is my enemy showing up here to talk to me about you? You know what? Some people even in our world look at pastors as the enemy. Some people look at Christians as the enemy. Like, don't talk to me. Don't, don't talk to me. Why is God sending us to other people? Because that's our job, that's the why. That's our job, that is our purpose. Did we go back to our old crowd? Did we come to Christ and then go back to our old habits? That's not our purpose. You are a vessel, you are an instrument, you are to be used by God and for God. He wants to use you this morning. I'm asking that you will let him. Will you pray with me?